This is the History Worth Saving podcast. Subscribe, like, and share your story ideas at historyworthsaving.com. And while you're there, you can also pick up a copy of my new book, Tales from High Bluff, Stories My Grandfather Would Like, just by visiting historyworthsaving.com. And a special thank you to our friends at The Conversion Mill for making this episode possible. The Conversion Mill turns your existing website visitors into paying customers. Find more at theconversionmill.com. That's theconversionmill.com. The views expressed on this episode are opinions of guest Jonathan Sautel and not necessarily those of the Department of Defense or the U.S. Air Force. On this episode, we're talking to a battlefield meteorologist, a weatherman for the military. Jonathan Sautel is an Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Special Operations Weather Officer. And right now, he's working as a squadron commander. But here's the thing about being Special Ops Weather. The enemy doesn't care that he is a meteorologist, just like those glider pilots who landed at Normandy. Their job was to get the troops there safely. Once they were on the ground, they were part of the infantry. So in full disclosure, Jonathan and his family are friends. And we got to know them due to my close relationship with the military. And we'll go into more information on that a little bit later on. But I wanted to have him on because I have never met anyone else in my life living today that said, hey, why don't you come to my salon? And and not a salon not a salon where they're doing hair and makeup. I'm I'm talking about a gathering place of interesting people who are working on interesting problems, theories, and ideas that change the way the world works, but changes the way we look at each other. Jonathan brings these ideas about being courageous, not only in the battle, but also at home, right to the forefront. Now, just for some background here, Jonathan was adopted, and he was raised by a Marine Corps Vietnam veteran, and he gave him formative impressions on how he envisions courage. But as we're going to hear today, Jonathan recently connected with his biological father for a reason, well, for a reason that you're just never going to forget. Now, Jonathan, I hope I didn't scare you off. We're going to talk about courage today, and I know I know sometimes that's a it's a difficult topic, but it's a passionate topic. So so courage by definition is what to you. You know, first thing is courage is being vulnerable. You know, as a young man, I when I envisioned courage, I envisioned my father as a force recon marine in Vietnam, and I thought being a lone Marine out there in small teams, that's vulnerable. You're risking everything for something bigger, you know, maybe assaulting a hill or taking out an enemy or, you know, coming up out from behind a tree and attacking someone. To me as a young man, that was courageous. So I spent the better part of my early years of my military career trying to put myself in a place where courage was asked of me every day, jumping out of planes, fast roping out of helicopters, swimming distances over water, long movements over land with with other young teammates, vulnerable in Afghanistan, far from home. That is how I envisioned courage as a young man. 
And and today, as a, as a father and a husband, how are you summing up courage? You know, uh, for a long time, I'd want to go to the military free fall school. That's basically skydiving school, but it's a little more advanced. You have to skydive in with a rucksack, a weapon, sometimes oxygen. And maybe you want to do it at night, so you have cover of darkness for safety. And then there was one point at the school, and I was a brand-new father, brand-new dad, and I was standing over the deserts of Yuma, Arizona, about 10,000 feet above the desert. There was no moon, pitch black night. You couldn't tell horizon from ground, and I thought for a minute, you know, I'm a new dad. What in the world am I doing? And that was the beginning of a collision course of what, how to reconcile courage that I knew as a young man and courage that was being called upon as I changed roles and became a father and a family man. And, you know, we exited the airplane and completed the training task. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, I'm going to have to step out of airplanes a lot. I'm going to have to step toward Afghanistan a lot, but what are the things I need to do when I step out of bed in the morning to address the no fail mission, which is being a husband and a father. And that's something that everybody can relate to, which is uh, which is the reason I wanted to have you on. I think it's so cool. You and I were talking about this. You right now are an instructor down there at Maxwell Air Force Base where you're shaping young officers who are, are really kind of in the first third of their career. And uh, this is a professional development type of course. It's a year-long course, and, and you are one of the commanders down there for the student squadrons. And and you were standing up in front of these these airmen these young warriors and trying to talk to them about courage. Would you mind, I, this is a bit personal, but would you mind sharing the lesson that, that, uh, that you shared with them? Cause I think it's a great one. I sure would. And just to clarify, it's a six and a half week course for captains primarily in the air force from every career field, from nearly every base at any one time with 150 ish students in my hallway they come from 54 different career fields and more than 80 locations around. Boom, the entire world comes here for six and a half weeks, and we help create more advanced problem solvers and uh, better leaders out of them. And as I, you know, say with, with my wife, with my, my children, I think with the students, they're never going to see me demonstrate courage in the way I had originally envisioned it. They're not going to see me. Most likely rescue someone from a burning car, or take out a bad guy post, or do some amazing mission. But there are opportunities to demonstrate courage every day at home and here in front of these captains in the schoolhouse that they need to see. They need to see demonstrations of vulnerability. Um, that's why you know I'm embracing the phrase, the phrase courageous vulnerability, being more open with the things that hurt things that bother you, things that you've seen, maybe combat or non-combat related. I think there are powerful cultural forces at work that just make us, when we experience tough things, we just bury it inside, lock it down, and try to move on. And I've just seen over time that takes a lot of energy. And the energy we try to use to suppress thoughts and feelings that we think might be a burden to others or might be embarrassing to share or might slow down our team or, or you know, make our family question how strong we really are. All that energy prevents us from being what we're really capable of being. And so as I practice cultural or, excuse me, courageous vulnerability, I thought, you know what? 
I took a lesson from a really amazing leadership speaker named Brene Brown, and she said, sometimes you just need to be the first to say I love you. Whether it's with your spouse or your kiddos, don't wait to be told and then respond, but be the first. So I gathered my team together, and I'm talking about over their lifetime, when will they ever be asked to demonstrate courage? And uh, most of them said maybe once in a lifetime, and I said, no, you're asked every day to go against your hesitation and be vulnerable and demonstrate courage there. Get over the fear, get over the pain and do it. And so I said, you have 24 hours to be the first to say I love you to someone in your life. Could be a friend, spouse, child. And I said, to demonstrate that, I'm going to call my estranged father who left my mother when she was pregnant with me 39 years ago, whom I've met twice in my life. And I'm going to call him on the speakerphone in front of you. And I'm going to tell him I love him. You know, you could hear a pin drop a mile away, first of all. Uh, and for some in the room, I think you could hear their hearts pounding in their chest. I, I don't know. I, I w- I've been told after that it was a powerful moment and that it hit some people hard. Um, and I just, it goes back to wh- how do you define courage? Is it vulnerability? Is it a moment where you know you need to do the right thing, but there's other forces, lesser forces trying to hold you back? You know, forgiveness is another one, Matt. Asking forgiveness is a gutsy thing to do. It's gutsy, especially especially when you're bitter or you feel like you've been wronged. Mm. Uh, but forgiving is also a courageous act. And I just the more and more I've thought about, you know, my people need to see courage and I'm their leader and I need to demonstrate it. What is the most realistic and heartfelt way to demonstrate it? What's vulnerable? Well, it comes around basically how we feel about each other. And so I called my father up and uh, it was really garbled. It was cell phone. Um, and uh, their, their eyes are as big as plates. My heart's pounding in my chest. My, my legs feel like jello and guess what that physiological reaction is the same one you have right before you jump out of a plane it's the same one and i ask him hey can i call your landline or your home phone and i hear kind of a yes and then i call him and then back on the landline on speaker i have all my people in front of me and crystal clear is his voice a voice that i've heard only a few times in my 39 years and uh a story within the story matt is that in 2011, his mother, my grandmother, my Italian grandmother, who we call Nona, passed away. At the same time, my wife was pregnant with our youngest and was actually in contraction. So I am miles away, 7,000 miles away from home, and my wife's about to have a baby. And I get a knock at the door and it says, hey, sir, we think your wife's given birth. And, you know, the adrenaline shoots through me, and I'm just thinking, man, I missed it. I missed the birth. And then I call Christina. Her voice is calm. And and then she says, Jonathan, your Nona died today. And it just floored me, you know. Well, I was basically at the end of my tour. And I had to choose to overfly northeast Ohio from Afghanistan to land in Seattle so I could see the birth of our youngest kiddo. And I missed also an opportunity to mourn my grandmother, but also see my father who came to the funeral. It was a rare trip he made. And so on the phone call in front of my people, we revisit this story. And I say, you know, I'm sorry I missed you there. I had to go see the birth of 
our youngest, and we just chatted for a minute. And I said, you know, I just want you to know that I love you. And uh, he, he kind of laughed and said a couple things, and he said, I love you too. And I said, well, I hope to see you soon, and I hung up the phone. And uh, even as I re- revisit that moment right now, you know, it's, it's an upwelling of emotion, Matt. It's an upwelling of emotion. So every morning, you know, that, that single mom or the, uh, the grandmother or the grandfather that, that's dealing with something, uh, I hope they hear your words, and I, and I hope that they understand that, that, that what they're doing is courageous and that there is, there is goodness in, in those acts of courage. And I, and I think that, that alone right there is, is history worth saving because we, we don't hear that enough today that, that you have decisions from the time you're born. And uh, courage is a decision, as you've said. It's a decision that you make every day, and, and that's important. And I appreciate you saying that. You, the book that you have written is, is specifically on leadership, and it's tilted toward the military. But, but it is free. It's a free download, and uh, we'll make it available in the show story. Uh, but, but tell us a little bit about why you wrote this, because I think there's something for everyone uh, to come out of your book. Well, sure. It's called uh, Resilient, Effective, Adaptable Leadership, Real Leadership. And, uh, you know, it stems from this idea most leadership schools and companies, they're looking at effectiveness. They want their people and their leaders to be effective. They want to get the job done. They want the mission accomplished. They want the bottom dollar made. Um, but things are changing. Things change rapidly. It could be a crisis, an earthquake, a death in the family, an assault of someone at work, a tragedy of some sort. And then, and then what do you need? You need something other than effectiveness there. You need to adapt. But what is adapting? You know, changing, finding new strengths within you, finding strengths and talents in other people to apply to the new problem that's being faced. And then ultimately, it's about resilience as well. Bouncing back, preparing for crisis, preparing for that event that you don't want to think about, but being ready for it. And uh, I think there's a notion, just like the young Jonathan who considered courage as this act of combat and then adapted to the realities of the rest of life, which is, you know, a daily choice. You know, we envision leaders as someone who's leading us through a crisis. That, that's how I see it culturally. There's a problem. The leader steps in, points, you go here, you go there, follow me here. And then the problem gets solved and then we all go home at the end of the day. But the fact of the matter is, is that leadership starts way before you need it. Leadership is 100% before you need it. I have a dear friend who was, who was killed. And uh, his, his, uh, his widow, his lovely wife and I are still friends. And she confessed to me uh, about a year ago. She said, you know, Jonathan, that the relationships I had in place before the tragedy – led to the most amazing solutions after. People who were connected were creatively and proactively solving problems I didn't even know existed. And, you know, trying to get relationships up and running after an emergency occurs, it's too late. You've got to knit the people together beforehand. You've got to find the pieces. I call it the pieces of the people puzzle. If you can put pieces of the people puzzle together, you see a bigger picture 
um, than what's before. So again, I just go back to leadership is 100% before you need it. It's about cultivating relationships, finding out what people are passionate about, where their talents are. Um, because when a surprise, emergency, a crisis, a tragedy happen, those are the things that will rise to the surface and lead people through crisis. I want to talk about uh, an image that, that you have shared with me that every time you share it or I, I see it, it just gives me a lot of pause. And it, it's you... Uh, it's your son and your daughter, and you're standing at a casket, and your son, in, in keeping with military tradition, is pounding in some jump wings to the top of this wooden casket that is about to be interned at Arlington National Cemetery. And you're there in your uniform, and when you see that, you know, there's, and you don't know the story behind it, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a lot of thoughts racing through your head, right? It's, it, well, is this son or this young boy and this daughter, are they, are they burying their father? Is this man... Uh, a, a beloved friend or, or what what's the story here what is the story and what I realize when I look at that is it's all of those things it's all of those things in that image what's really going on there is it's you your son and your daughter and and after we've talked about this it it just sort of touched a nerve with me in thinking about this last night and I wanted to make the image available it's going to be available in the show story but but what I'm trying to drive home here is that your son had an act of courage that morning because I'm sure you guys talked about this. I'm sure he knew he was going to do this. And at some point in the day, he, you know, he got out of bed, he put his shoes on, and he walked through that door thinking of, of this act of courage. But really, it had already happened, right? He had agreed to do it. Dad, I'm going to do this. I want to pay tribute to our friend that way. And to me, that that is just... It's a it's a a very small example of what you're talking about, and it's something that that each enough you know each of us do every day, and and we really don't even think about it. But imagine if we did. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, the family and I moved to Arlington, Virginia, t- 2015, as the Air Force stationist at the Pentagon and Andrews Air Force Base, and right at that time. Uh, a captain who we knew was killed in action in Afghanistan. Um, along with a, an NCO. And it was actually uh, my, my dear friend was the commander at the time. And uh, it was a matter of time, the dignified transfer where he returns home to the United States and then um, eventually the decision to inter at Arlington National Cemetery. And uh, I, there was just something about it that I just felt like I needed to bring my two oldest children to. My wife was there. She's also an Air Force officer. And uh, on our way in, we actually met the ground control team for the flyover. So when this officer was killed in action in August of 15, four Air Force F-22s flew over Arlington National Cemetery in missing man formation and honor him. And as we met the ground team, they offered up a little F-22 lapel pin to my son. And we watched the internment However devastating and, and sad, uh, an internment in Arlington National Cemetery might be one of the most beautiful things mm. to behold. So then you fast forward, um, months and months later, my former commander, the man who pinned me on, Major, the rank of Major, neighbor and friend, and our kids used to play all the time, <clears throat> was killed. And... Uh, the decision to inter at Arlington was made also, and of 
course, we were bringing the family. So pay our respects and say goodbye. And as all the operators and courageous men and women lined up, you know, it's ceremonial. You take your jump wings or rank or a artifact and pound into the coffin and salute and say farewell. And Ian realized that he had a F-22 lapel pin that he could offer up mm-hmm. in addition to his daddy's jump wings. And, uh, you know, I never really thought about it as an act of courage until you and I started talking, Matt. And uh, someone captured that, that moment there as Ian and I try to get that thing in there and say goodbye and you know Ian offered up my son offered up something uh, to say goodbye something that will be in the soils of Arlington National Cemetery forever and uh, for him to willingly follow and watch something to be pulled out of school and not be around his friends and be around adults who are struggling with sorrow and grief um, in the name of serving our country, I, my hope is always that it would leave a lasting, a lasting positive impact on him and, and my daughter who was also there. When are you going to take over for uh, the folks there at the Weather Channel and become an icon uh, in American culture, we need you. <laughs> we need you, Jonathan. I mean, just imagine you could talk about the hurricanes. You could you could talk about all this stuff, and then you could look right you could look right in that camera and say, "I don't I don't care what you're dealing with." You know, this weather is going to be what it's going to be. But let let's talk about courage. I mean, how refreshing would that be instead of some of this silliness uh, that they've got going on right now, naming this winter storm or that winter storm and all this you know malarkey when when really. The nation is is hurting, and we need to come together uh, in a way that we've never come together. And we talk a lot about meeting our neighbors on this show, right? Because so many Americans, they just don't know their neighbors. And you're a great example. Uh, your neighbor is, is so blessed to have you right next door, and I hope you know him. And in the military, it's a little different, right? We don't always know our neighbors, but but we know everyone in the community, as strange as that sounds. And, and there's these close-knit relationships that happen when you live on a base or in a community. And I really haven't, I haven't shared too much, but as you know, our families are friends uh, because my wife is in the military. And so it's, uh, it's a unique community of people. And if I, I, always, I always think, wow, if the, if the rest of the country uh, had this model of living where neighbor helps neighbor and where team member helps team member and families kind of come together, it really is a beautiful thing. And I know that's kind of pie in the sky and it comes uh, through the relationships of close-knit service, but it is so special, and it's something that I cherish. And I think that uh, your family does a great job of upholding that. Uh, and, and it's just wonderful. So I, I hope people download your book, by the way. And I hope, th- I hope they read it, and I hope you go to work at the Weather Channel someday and, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and tell you know, great Matt, stories like this. <laughs> I was hanging out with a really amazing author and motivating speaker named Jason Womack yesterday. And he said something very powerful that I think is appropriate to close this interview. He said, we all long for connection, but we fear the process of connecting. And as we approach Thanksgiving and the holidays where families come from all over, 
you know, some people are white knuckling it. Hey, I hope so-and-so doesn't bring up politics. I hope we don't go down this path. I hope this doesn't happen. Um, but reaching out your hand to shake someone's hand, being the first to say hello, <laughs> the first to hug if you're a hugger, that is a courageous act that will open doors and open hearts. And we shouldn't wait for the holidays to be the first to call a family member or friend we haven't spoken to in a long time. We should just make the decision to do it because connecting is the right thing. And I know, I know what you're thinking. There's a thousand reasons why. There's a thousand reasons why we wouldn't call so-and-so or reach out to them or knock on their front door. But there's one reason why you should, which is because relationships matter and connection is so very important. And those those are simple acts of courage that can change lives and transform communities and families. Well, I love it. And it's well said. I, I really appreciate you coming on before, before you go though, what are you working on? Because there's always something uh, in the Sawtell workbench that, that is worthy of, of talking a little bit about. If you, if you don't mind sharing uh, what, what, what's noodling around right now in that noggin of yours. Well, my family and I have been given an opportunity to live in Montgomery, Alabama right now. And, uh, it's birthplace of civil rights, Dexter Avenue, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, her statue will be unveiled very soon at the Bicentennial of Montgomery here on December 14th, 2019. And it's like I tell my children, you go abroad across the world and you see game-changing decisions were generally made in palaces with marble floors and vaulted ceilings. Um, but the game-changing decisions made in the United States to set the tone for the rest of the world were made in wooden houses with wooden floors like most of us grew up in. And so the U.S. Civil Rights Trail is beginning to knit itself together across Alabama and other states. And I'm working on establishing a nonprofit organization with the title of something like the Project for National Healing or the Foundation for National Healing. And it would be an effort to fully fund junior high and high school children from rural and urban areas across the United States to come and visit the U.S. Civil Rights Trail. And C2... They are also just one decision away from making a huge difference in their families, their communities, the United States, and the world. I love it. Another small, small project from Jonathan Sautel. I, I don't know how you, I, I just don't know how you come up with this stuff, but it's, it's so awesome. And I'm so thankful uh, that the Lord has put all of this on your heart and that you've answered the call and, and you've stepped up and you're doing it. it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. It's Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Sautel. If folks want to get involved in this project, uh, how's the best way to reach out to you? It, through, hopefully, our site, or can they find you in other ways? Is there a website for this project yet? You can hit me up at resilienteffectiveadaptable at gmail.com. There you go. All right. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Sautel, thanks for being here, bud. Thank you, Matt. Folks, if you want to find out more, about Jonathan's projects, we'll make his email available at the very bottom of the show story description here. Also, sign up for the History Worth Saving newsletter, and please, please do it. Don't miss a minute of it. If, if you sign up, we will stay in touch with you once a month. Believe me, I hate, I detest spam and those telephone calls. I, I don't care about my car warranty or my, my home warranty for that matter. We will never call you. We'll never sell your information, I assure you. And you can unsubscribe at any time if you don't like the newsletter. It's once a month. 
that's it. If there's a special offer or something like that that we're working on or a show that I think you would enjoy hearing, I'll send it to you. But no spam, none of that stuff. Sign up for the newsletter, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you are so inclined, Tales from High Bluff, it's available in December. Uh, that's my new book coming out. I'd love to love to send you a copy of it. Just uh, go on there and you can find out how to, how to order. Thanks again for being here. My thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Sautel and my thanks... My thanks to you for tuning in and downloading this show. Tell your friends about it. Get out there and meet your neighbors. Until next time, I am Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.